Nathan Diamond is with us live via telephone. He's executive director for the Orthodox Union Advocacy Center. Spends a lot of time in Washington. And whenever he's on, it's usually one of two things. Either there's a call to action and uh, he expects our national audience to respond and to help out, which they do, thank God. Uh, Or there's really good news. And by the way, in this case, it's the really good news department. We'll talk about that coming up here at JM and the AM. Nathan Diamond, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. Good morning, Nachum. It's a pleasure to be with you as always. Appreciate that. And we do have a lot to talk about, especially when it comes to uh, both the COVID relief and uh, and items that have been designated specifically for our community and other uh, uh, private school communities. And we'll get to all that. Uh, every time there's been a transition in Washington, at least a serious one, meaning the White House, uh, we've asked you what your impressions are. We did this from... Uh, uh, Bush to Obama, Obama to Trump, and now today we ask you, with uh, just about a month uh, remaining in the Trump administration, what do you anticipate for those of us who are concerned about Israel and those of us who spend time in the active Jewish community, what do you anticipate from the future Biden administration? Well, I think uh, with regard to the Biden administration, if you look at who he's appointed to key posts with regard to Israel so far, um, people like uh, his longtime national security advisor, Tony Blinken, uh, national security advisor, Jake Sullivan. Um, these are people who, first of all, have been in senior levels of government before. They've dealt with Israel before, um, and they have a track record, um, as does Joe Biden himself. And, you know, I would characterize them all as being in the, the longtime mainstream of the Democratic Party, with regard to policies towards Israel. They're not, none of them are, you know, on the left wing. Um, You know, they're also not right wing Republicans. So they, they view um, it it as being important for both the United States and Israel to resolve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict through the quote unquote two state solution. Um, They do, they want to, uh, thwart Iran's nuclear weapons ambitions, but they want to return to trying to do that through a negotiated agreement, right. um, which is which is not maybe necessarily mainstream <laughs> pro-Israel views right now. But, um, you know, these are people with a track record. And Joe Biden himself, and he, spe- he speaks about this time and again, has had a very long, personally warm relationship with Israel and its leaders literally for decades. Um, he goes. He was telling a story about his first trip to Israel as a senator, where he met Prime Minister Golda Meir and how she made a big impression on him. Right. So, you know, I think that's the overall atmosphere that we're going into. Let me ask you this, uh, Nathan Diamond. Um, when President Trump came into office, I think he was pretty open about the fact that there were certain things he wanted to either eliminate or completely change. I mean, Obamacare is obviously a good example of that. I think the deal with Iran, most could say, is a good example of that. Uh, do you see the president, the next president of the United States, acting in a similar manner? In other words, should we be fearful that some of the things that President Trump has implemented that we are in favor of, embassy move, recognition of certain areas of greater Israel, etc., should we, we be afraid that those could be eliminated or curtailed? Or is Joe Biden um, a little bit more... Um, uh, diplomatic than that, and he might go about those issues and the Iran issue with a little bit more of a middle-of-the-road approach. 
Yeah, I think it's mostly the latter. I mean, he's he's clearly said he's not moving the uh, American embassy back to Tel Aviv. Um, uh, I don't think they've said anything publicly about the Golan, but I would I would be surprised if they changed, you know, Trump's recognition uh, of Israeli sovereignty on the Golan. Um, policy toward, you know, what we call Judea and Samaria is going to be a little more complicated. Um, again, because I think they're going to want to look to, at some point, get back into a peace process. But um, well, I can tell you, even, even you could look, your, your listeners could look this up. Um, there was an article published, uh, a very well-reported article published by JTA before the election, which, uh, which documented how during the Obama administration, when there were you know, a good amount of tensions, how Vice, then-Vice President Joe Biden was viewed as the pro-Israel voice in the room, the one trying to, you know, uh, to use your word, handle things more diplomatically. Right. Um, so I think there's going to be more of a tone. Oh, and frankly, the other thing is, you know, whatever's going on, Joe Biden's first, second, and third priorities are going to be the COVID pandemic, the American economy, um, and while he certainly will pay attention to foreign policy um, and, and issues related to the Middle East, you know, that's not going to be at the top of his inbox. Understood. Understood. Nathan Diamond's with us. We promised good news, and I think we could say, Nathan, that we have good news. Uh, people are wondering about the uh, funding that's coming out of Washington and if, in fact, our synagogues and schools will be beneficiaries, if, in fact, the COVID-19 package has something that we, as uh, non-public day school people, um, uh, you know, pay attention to. Is it something that includes something that we would benefit from? What could you tell us? First, regarding the uh, re- the COVID nineteen relief package as it relates to our community. Sure, um, it, it is it is good news in a very difficult situation. Obviously, at, at the Orthodox Union, uh, at the Advocacy Center, we're we're constantly working on the interests and and, and in service of our community, and we know how much um, our community has been disrupted along with you know, America as a whole, and, and um, within our community, our schools. Um, and it's been very, very costly and difficult. And um, so when, when Congress was putting together yet another relief package after they did the CARES Act several months ago, we were very engaged um, with, with allies, bipartisan allies, and we knew there was going to be money for K-12 schools in right. general. Right. Um, and thank God uh, we, we succeeded in working with those allies uh, to have in this package $2.75 billion specifically set aside uh, to support non-public K-12 through schools, um, Jewish, Catholic, and otherwise. And these, the, the funds are going to be administered by the governors uh, who will apply for the funds you know, to Washington, and um, the funds will be available to help schools with you know, a very broad menu of COVID-related expenses, cleaning, sanitizing, buying technology, supporting remote learning when they have to do that, changing their curriculum um, for remote learning, and also reimbursing them for expenses that they've already uh, incurred for all of that these past months. And it's, it's really unique. In, in past, we've, we've not had this kind of set-aside uh, for our schools, uh, as as we got in this in this legislation, so that's the most significant thing. Well, the um, um, sometimes we wonder about the uh, the monies that that's allocated out of Washington. Frankly, 
if you and others at the OU and others were not uh, were not advocating for this in Washington, essentially private schools would would likely be ignored. Uh, it's only through the efforts over all these decades that people like yourself have put private schools on the agenda in Washington. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I, on this one, I, I would also be remiss. We had we did this really in partnership with the Catholic right. uh, community, which, all, and, which, uh, all, which often happens now, right? A lot of which these... often happens. But and 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 I have to thank uh, uh, you know in front of your listeners, Cardinal Dolan of New York right. was uh, was very heavily involved and, and making phone calls, and uh, so that was great. So, and by the way, the other thing that's in this package relevant not only to our schools. But also possibly to Shoals and other nonprofit organizations is there's going to be a second round of uh, the the PPP loans, the Paycheck Protection loans. Right. Um, it's a little bit more targeted than it was the first time around. You, the, to get one of these second loans, um, an organization will need to have fewer than 300 employees, and will have to show that its income is down by 25 percent. Right. Um, you know, so those who are hardest hit uh, will will be able to access second PPP loans, and um, there's some other things in the in the package as well. Now, um, do, do schools have do schools have to do anything at this point? Now, you know, principals and executive directors are hearing this uh, about right. the two two point seven five billion. They also heard you say the governors will be responsible for it. Is there anything a school or any type of of uh, of group has to do at this point? Um. Today, no. Uh, we, you know, we want people to be, especially the leaders of these schools, to be aware of this. We, we've sent out some guidance information. Um, right now, uh, we're engaged now with the U.S. Department of Education because they have to very rapidly put out the guidance for the governors to apply for these funds. Um, our, our state advocacy teams, our partners at the OU and the Teach Coalition Network, are engaging with the governor's offices and sort of saying to them, hey, this money's coming. We want you to apply. We want it for our schools. But but pretty soon uh, there, there's there's going to be action that will be, need to be taken um, by school leadership, and we will certainly communicate that out um, right away. And Nathan Diamond. Uh, the, the other thing yeah. I should just mention, you know, people, if people follow the news, there is a little bit of a hiccup right now <laughs> because President Trump – uh, two Mike, nights ago, Mike Vito, the bill. Um, is, is 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 yeah, put a pause on this bill. So this is all tied up in that. <laughs> but hopefully that will get resolved. <laughs> I, I actually should have had that on my list of questions. You're right. That, that is a newsworthy item as it relates to this. Um, all right. I, so I'm told that the funding for the not-for-profit security grant program has been doubled. First, please right. explain what is. The not-for-profit security grant program. Right. So, so this is a program that uh, we at the OU and other partners initiated back in 2005 when we realized, you know, the security, the costs of security for our community were back then already starting to be uh, focused upon, and and security needs were increasing. And this is a program we created under which uh, the Department of Homeland Security gives out grants um, generally up to about $100,000 uh, each. And, and, just, and, just, and just to remind everybody, if, if they look at any large or any significant synagogue in our community, a lot of these security enhancements came from that money. Yes. Um, so, so these And these grants can be used to put up fences and bollards right. and shatterproof glass and, mm. and heavy doors. They, they can also um, be used to hire security guards. 
um, uh, and, and for training and purposes like that. Um, you know, we started off this program in 2005. It was at $25 million a year. It was very restricted to certain geographic areas, mainly major metropolitan centers. And unfortunately, because the need has continued for security, um, we've, we've, particularly in the past few years, uh, worked again with bipartisan allies in Congress to um, increase the funding for this program. A couple years ago, we got it up to $60 million. Last year, we got it up to $90 million. And this year, um, doubled it to $180 million. And also, it's now available, whereas in the first, I would say, decade of the program, it was restricted to those geographic areas. Um, it's now available across the United States as a whole. So communities that were not in those geographic areas and were not able to get these funds for many years now are eligible as well. Uh, so the fund has been doubled. Those of you who have a uh, who are leading institutions, synagogues, and uh, houses of worship uh, that are um, uh, that are um, in, in any area of the United States. And by the way, this goes for both the Jewish and other parochial day schools as well. It's not just shuls. If you lead a day school as well, uh, you are right. el- eligible up to one hundred thousand dollars per applicant um, uh, from this program. One hundred eighty. Million dollars. So again, the same question to you, Nathan Diamond. Does a school at this point, especially those, or a shul at this point, especially those right. that have been part of this system in the past, is there anything they need to do right now? So um, the, we we expect the application again. If President Trump signs right. the big funding package, <laughs> uh, we expect the application period to start in probably in in mid February. Right. Um, the, the most important thing, if for an institution that's never been through this process before is to get, uh, if they don't have one or haven't had one recently, to get a security assessment right. of their of their facility. Um, they can get that from their local police department or their local FBI uh, office. Um, <clears throat> and uh, that, that's, that's step one that they can do on their own. Um, and then again, as, as we move towards um, when the application – uh, periods are, you know, really set and the applications start to go, yeah, we will be communicating out to the community, um, you know, the timelines and the deadlines and all that. So yet another reason to root for the uh, for President Trump not to interfere and for this package to go through. Uh, if uh, and I'll get, by the way, I'll give you one more, yeah. which is uh, the annual aid package to Israel is right. in this That's massive correct. funding bill as well. How many millions um, is that? Around how many million is that? Do you know what's in billions? There? Oh, it's billions, billions, <laughs> billions yeah. of dollars. I don't know why I yeah. thought, and actually, I have a picture. Maybe I'll, I'll bring it up now. I don't know why I thought that in this specific package it was like five hundred million. But I'll look just to make sure. But also, if you're a fan of the Smithsonian, you should be rooting for this bill. Am I correct about that? Did you see? Yeah, it's it's. They put two things together. They put together the COVID relief package. Two things, not, which is <laughs> two things. Yeah, which it's, is it seems like a well, lot. Two more big than packages. That. Two big packages. The the COVID relief package with the 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 funding package, what's called the omnibus funding package, which funds the entire federal government for the balance of its fiscal year, which runs through September. Right. Um, you know, uh, it's unfortunate that it was done this way. Uh, it was all left for the last minute and in one giant six thousand page <laughs> piece of legislation, but that's ha- that happens. <laughs> so. You see, here here's the list that I have. I don't know if this is accurate. Uh, but the Kennedy Center, $26 million. The Smithsonian, mm-hmm. as you and I just alluded to, $1 billion. 
$1 billion going to the Smithsonian in this aid mm-hmm. package. Now, my kids and I calculated, I think it's only $8 more per American if that billion would be split um, you know, in, in, in the actual aid package, you know, the one that, uh, that everyone's calling the $600 check. Uh, so I guess it wouldn't make that much of a difference to people, but still there are a lot of folks that resent the fact that a Smithsonian is getting a billion in an aid package like this. And then frankly, many people are criticizing the foreign countries that are getting aid. I mean, uh, here right. we have Egypt, according to this list at 1.3 billion in this deal, Israel, according to li- this list, 500 million in this deal. And then, of course, there are many other uh, Pakistan and many other countries that are being uh, uh, taken care of in this uh, in this package as well. But you would say to us, some would call it corruption, some would call it mafia style. You would say to us, folks, just realize this is the way it works in Washington, right? I mean, this is what you've seen for decades. Um, I mean, it, yes and no. It, or it's, it, if you go back, um, you probably at this point have to go back about. 10 years um, that Congress Congress and presidents were able to do the annual appropriations bills for the federal government in a more, say, orderly way. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, I mean, we, we, it's funny, I call it, you call it one big package. It really is actually 12 or 15 appropriations bills rolled into this one omnibus bill because you have you have a you have an appropriations bill for the state department you have an appropriations bill for the homeland security department you have appropriations bill that includes the smithsonian right uh right. etc they that rolling all that into one big package is not such a big deal but uh the point is that those things are worked on you know by many members and many committees over the period of the year but it's become, you know, as Washington has become more and more partisan and polarized, um, there are disagreements. They don't get resolved. Things they're kind of like school children. They leave everything to the last minute, and <laughs> you end up with this turning in your homework, you know, at the last minute, and this is what you get. Um, some people, some people are advocating, and I, I personally happen to agree with this. That you know, one of the things that would grease the wheels. Uh, would be if they would bring back something that are called earmarks, right? Um, which they did away with, right? Uh, about a dozen years ago. Um, but earmarks are basically, you know, your your individual congressman or woman, you know, it, it, it's not meant to be quote unquote corrupt. It's like your congressman so and so wants to get federal money for a bridge in their district because the district, you know, the bridge fell down. They need a new bridge, right? And this is a way that the congressman can say, look, I'm bringing home the bacon, right, to my district. Um, you know, some of it was a little was a little loose. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are ways, a, a, a there are little, ways to a, deal with that. You can make it much more transparent. Right. And, you know, everybody should know ahead of time what's going on. But the feeling is, if you know, they took that away. So that meant that the individual members of Congress, in a certain sense, had less of a personal stake in these big packages. Right. But if you bring them back... Again, as long as you had transparency in place, you couldn't have really corrupt stuff going on. You know, now the congressman got his bridge in the package. He's going to want to support the package. Um, and, you know, maybe we need some of that uh, to, 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 to make the process work a little bit more smoothly. Excellent explanation. I feel like I'm in political science 101, the way you just explained Washington 2020. That's really what it's all about. That's the core of uh, of everything that we've been seeing over the last few weeks, actually months, as they've negotiated all of this back and forth. Yeah, uh, very interesting. Well, the other thing you the, the other thing you had going on over the past few months, and I would say this was going on 
with both the Democratic leadership and the Republican leadership in Congress, is each one had their own calculation as to, you know, going into the November elections. Right. Uh, you know, what was going to help my party more win those elections? Right. And I, I, would, I would put equal blame on both sides for, you know, not having done another big deal after the CARES Act because they were all making these election calculations. Right. Um, so, you know, even though even though this control of the Senate is up in the air with the Georgia uh, runoffs, um, you know, both sides felt like, OK, now it's in everybody's interest. we got to get a deal done. Got a deal done. Um, we still do have this, hopefully, uh, only a hiccup with regard to what the president has said. Um, and and the aid will get out to it. And by the way, we mentioned some parochial things for our community, but right. I mean, they're, they're, you know, there are programs in here to help um, people who are in, you know, going to food pantries and are and are hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, there's the moratorium on evictions, and there's unemployment insurance, and and that's that's in the current situation that the United States is in. Um, all those programs are really um, vital. You know, yeah. Vital and and it's it's really a matter of life and death for for any number of people that um, this aid is necessary because of this ongoing pandemic. We're two Tuesdays away from the election. Have you heard anything from the Atlanta Jewish community? Anything from leadership down there in terms of how people are being inundated <laughs> with commercials and with campaign? I assume debates and conversations and discussions. I mean, here we don't feel a thing about this election, but it's such an important one. For I mean, some would yeah. say it's important for the future of the country. I mean. Have you heard from anybody in Georgia about what's going on? Um, you know, depending on the, the, the Jewish community broadly, right, is 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 divided. Right. Um, I can't give you percentages, but right. there are certainly those who strongly feel, you know, mm-hmm. that we, the Democrats got to win and others who feel the Republicans got to win. Um, I think, I, you know, what I would say is one rabbi in an Atlanta synagogue who I spoke to recently said his his his. Top priority, no matter who wins this election, is that the Jewish community uh, survive this election intact right. and that uh, it's not so divisive as to really rend the fabric of the community. Right. Um, imagine, imagine Trump Biden, but in such an acute fashion that it's just, you know, that it's even more local than the, than the Trump Biden <laughs> craziness was. Yeah. You, you, you could have done very well, Nachum, if you had just reoriented your your uh, your broadcast to be uh, Georgia focused and only sell <laughs> sold political ads 24 hours a day. I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming that there are people who, <laughs> if they watch TV for nine minutes, are seeing you know 15 commercials in a row, and that that's yeah. probably what's happening down there at this point. Yeah, there's more money going into these races than literally than they can spend. <laughs> there's always so much money you can spend. You know what's funny? Time. You know what's funny about what you're saying. Generally, and I know that people could debate this, especially in recent elections because things have gotten so expensive, but generally the only election that's always viewed as there's unlimited money is a presidential election, right? The two sides, like like mm-hmm. mon- like you always say, it's the only election where money won't be a factor. That's almost what's happening now in Georgia, where you're, where you're describing— Well, it even, happened, it, it even happened in November, I mean, uh, in, in other Senate races. I mean, in the South Carolina Senate race— um, the the Democrat who was challenging Lindsey Graham uh, raised something like fifty million dollars, which was unheard of for a Senate race in South Carolina. And they didn't have to worry um, about using it all; it was unlimited, as far as they were concerned. 
Yeah, and and they and they still lost, by the way. Right. Um, you know, so money doesn't money doesn't necessarily buy you an election. Right. Um, um, hey, but, ma- mayor, uh, mayor, mayor, mayor. Yeah, uh, look, yeah. it's a function. It's it's really a function of the change in in the political fundraising system to uh, with technology, you know, and and the ability of of candidates. You know, you don't have to go and collect checks from one donor at a time, so to speak. You put out. Um, you know, you put out a message and you can raise uh, on the Internet um, millions and millions of dollars, people just clicking and giving you $5 at a time. Yeah. And uh, it's very efficient and it brings in a lot of money. It's amazing the benefits of, of what we've learned during this period. And obviously that that's not specific to COVID. That was already in place what you just described, you know, many elections ago because we've drifted into this whole social media and instant uh, communication uh, era. But what's interesting is that because of Zoom, I spoke to somebody who's running for a local election and they were blessing Zoom. Why? Because instead of doing one parlor meeting a night, they're doing six parlor meetings a night, mm-hmm. you know, targeted to different crowds, different people. And, you know, they may, they may not have a house filled with 50 people, but they'll have six Zoom meetings with 20 each. And that's much more effective for their purposes. Yeah. So it's very yeah. interesting to watch what's going on. Nathan Diamond with us, everybody. Uh, I told you we'd uh, give you some good news. He's executive director for the Orthodox Union Advocacy Center. And assuming this relief package goes through, we'll be celebrating the fact, as will all the people who care about non-public day schools, uh, that uh, the bill includes $2.75 billion to support Jewish, Catholic, and other non-public day schools. And we celebrate the fact that, uh, again, with everything hopefully going through, the not-for-profit security grant program began uh, 15 years ago, and now it will be doubled, which is a significant increase from $90 million to $180 million, helping security in both synagogues and in day schools. Uh, Nathan Diamond, I thank you. Continue your amazing work. What's, what's interesting about your job, and thank God you, you must be a very patient person, because a, <laughs> a lot of the stuff you started decades ago, you're finally seeing the fruits of your labor now. And that must be painstaking, you know, waiting this out for, you know, all these years to finally get some really solid results. Yeah, it, it takes a lot of patience, especially these recent months on these on these efforts. Uh, I'll tell you, I, uh, before COVID, I, uh, um, the, the musical Hamilton came to Washington and, right. and I was able to go and see it. And the mug, um, I bought a mug in the gift shop. Um, with the words on it, the Hamilton fans will recognize this. It says, "Wait for it." <laughs> because you're, because I've been you're... using that mug. I've been using that mug all these months during all these COVID negotiations. Because <laughs> you're always waiting. <laughs> Simple as that. Well, thank you for all your great help and best regards to everybody at the OU Advocacy Center. And thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you so much, Nathan. Nathan Diamond, everybody. Working very hard and fighting very hard in Washington and everywhere else he needs to fight in order to help our community, and it's much appreciated. Thursday morning broadcast at 28 minutes after 8 o'clock here at JMA.